um, good evening uh, to my class and I'm going to uh, take on from where I um, you know stopped um, yesterday I'm going to look at uh, chapter 2 and 3 of part 1 of the novel and we stopped at a point when um, uh, Mir Salt had returned after the funeral from Marengo and uh, you know he was very happy to be back in Algiers and uh, looking forward to sleeping for a full 12 hours so there's no sense of uh, you know loss or um, anxiety you know at his mother being dead uh, and he looks forward actually to uh, you know another day and another uh, 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 you know his old life rather um, now when he uh, goes to the office you know it's um, he meets his boss his boss doesn't look happy and it's saturday so he uh you know asked him for two days off and um, you know he uh, now realizes that um, you know it's a sunday and he um, you know meets uh, this girl called marie cordona uh, in fact marie cordona is his uh, girlfriend or his lover although the relationship that they share with one another is very um, um you know, uh, unusual in the sense that it's not conventional in which he never declares his love for her and, uh, you know, he never makes those kind of noises which uh, we would generally expect men in love to make. Uh, he knew Marie Condona from um, an earlier job where she was a typist and he always uses the word, I fancied her. He, he never uses the word, I loved her. Uh, his relationship with Marie Cordona, right from uh, the word go, is, is, is physical. And he finds her, you know, beautiful. He finds her sexually attractive. And all the descriptions, you know, where they go for a swim. And he, you know, looks at, um, you know, her, her body. And, um, you know, they dive together. It's, it, it, it's very sexually sort of stimulating. And then he, you know, very jokingly asks her if she would want to watch a film uh, in the evening. And, uh, um, you know, she laughs at this proposal and she asks which film was it? And he says it was a Fernando film. Now, a Fernando film is a, you know, um, a funny, um, a comic kind of film. And that's a film probably you would not expect a person to be watching one day after his mother's funeral. Uh, when he gets dressed after the swim, uh, she notices that he was wearing a black tie, uh, which is a sign of mourning. And she asks him, what's the matter? And he says, you know, my, my mother died. And when she asks him when, she, he says, she died yesterday. So that's almost frightful for Marie Cordona. And she recoiled, you know, she sort of gets a little um, a strange kind of a feeling when he says that. But then he again wants to apologize. And then he says, no, it's, you know, wants to say it's not my fault. But he doesn't want to make that mistake because he said the same kind of a thing to his boss. So uh, they go for the film and he says, you know, the parts of the movie were funny, but most of it was stupid and of course uh, the the film is only an excuse for him to be able to you know touch her kiss her fondle her breasts as he says and um, he says that he even kissed her but he kissed her um, you know badly all right and after that uh, she comes back uh, to his place and obviously uh, you know we understand that he was uh, you know they have um, sex and then he, she leaves uh, in the morning and he finds uh, you know uh, you know very romantic description although they're not, not really romantic but um, they're, they're physical and he said he could smell you know the the salty smell of Marie's hair in the bolster and he slept till 10 and he finds uh, you know he's a very annoyed whenever it's Sunday because he finds Sundays are very boring he has nothing to do he finds um, 
you know, Sunday is absolutely meaningless. And he also, you know, surveys his room and he looks at the saggy cane chairs, a wardrobe with a mirror that's gone yellow, a dressing table and a brass bed. And, you know, all the rest of it is in a complete mess. And he finds that after his mother died, you know, even this room is just too uh, large for him and uh, it's pretty uncomfortable. So, uh, now what does he do, you know, and how does he spend his Sunday? You know, he wakes up at 10 and then he uh, goes to, uh, you know, he smokes cigarettes and then he goes to, um, you know, Celestis. Uh, you know, uh, sorry, he doesn't want to go to Celestis. Celestis is a, uh, you know, person who he goes uh, to and has his meals there. He's a good friend of his as well. And he... Why didn't he want to go there? Because he didn't want to answer questions, you know. Oh, what happened to your mother? How old was she, you know? So he, you know, cooked some eggs and ate them out of a pan without even any bread because he'd run out of bread and he didn't feel like going down to buy some. So you see an abject kind of a disillusioned or a boring kind of an existence that he has. And now he is going to just spend the rest of the Sunday just looking outside, looking at people coming and going, you know, the squares filled with people before the start of the film, and then they're crowding back again at the end of the film, and he's, you know, observing, um, you know, parents with their children, he recognizes some of the people, and you'd see Amir Sword as a very keen observer. And uh, as I told you in my lecture yesterday, the first part of the book is almost like, uh, uh, you know, putting in journalistic detail, uh, a kind of a report of what somebody sees and uh, without passing any kind of um, judgment. You know, that's that's very important. There's no judgment that's passed. They're just observations that are made. And he, um, you know, finds that, uh, you know, there's a hustle and there is, you know, all kinds of noise on the uh, on Sunday, and then there is suddenly there's some kind of quiet, and he just spends his time uh, just just looking out at the streets. And um, at five o'clock, there was a lot of noise as some trams arrived. Uh, you know, they were coming back from the local football ground with bunches of spectators perched on the steps and hanging from the guardrails. So um, he just looks at that till the street lamps, you know, suddenly come on, and he saw the first <coughs> few stars that were appearing in the night, uh, which in the night sky, which looked quite pale. And you know, he was getting tired uh, he was getting in fact quite weary and uh, <coughs> you know soon afterwards it's evening and you know he uh, he sees uh, the first cat walking slowly across the uh, you know the the road and uh, he also has a neck ache from leaning on the back of his chair for so long so then he uh, you know went to buy some bread and some pasta he did his cooking he ate standing uh, he wanted to smoke a cigarette, but it turned chilly and he felt a bit cold. So he closes the windows and he comes back and he saw reflected in the mirror a corner of my table where my spirit lamp was standing beside some pieces of bread. And see the, uh, you know, some lines, most of the lines or the, you know, ending lines of uh, the chapters are uh, sort of very um, uh, philosophical in the sense that they give you a certain kind of a... Uh, a very solid kind of an idea about what Mirsault was going through in his mind. Uh, the chapter ends uh, like this. Um, I realized that I'd managed to get through another Sunday, 
that mother was now buried that i was going to go back to work and that after all nothing had changed so as i said uh, you know the the concretization of the philosophy of the absurd uh, taking place quite evidently so he says everything that you do mother has died uh, uh, you know i've gone through another sunday and i'm going to back i'm going back to work uh, but after all nothing has changed so everything is sort of so uh, mundane and meaningless uh, you know but yet uh, he has to like everybody else um, uh, you know uh, i had talked about this in my very early lectures about the three um, options or the three um, uh, you know um, ways in which you can combat this absurdity and one is you know physical suicide which um, Camus felt was cowardice the second was of course going to religion which he felt which is a very temporary kind of uh, uh, you know uh, thing i mean we recall um, you know karl marx's um, you know religion is the opiate for the masses and the third was of course um, like you know sisyphus i i referred to that in my earlier lecture is actually facing the absurdity even though uh, facing that absurdity itself is an act of uh, absolute absurdity um and now i come to chapter 3 and um uh, chapter 3 um uh, has um, you know certain uh, significant uh, things because we're going to meet uh, new characters and there's going to be a, a new kind of um uh, you know uh, direction uh, to his life uh, because he's going to meet somebody who's going to be very intrinsically connected with his um, you know life um, ahead um Mirsold is a very hard working man. Uh he works very hard at the office. He's very sincere. You know, there's been work piling up, but you know, he tries to put things in order and he worked at the office very hard and uh, you know, whenever um you know, he his boss asks him, you know, this is another question which he's very frightened about whenever people ask him, how old was your mother? And you know, he says um, you know, she was pretty old or she was about 60. Uh and you know even that is taken as a kind of a blasphemous kind of an answer because um knowing uh, you know the exact age of your parents etc uh, was considered to be very important it showed that you were a caring uh, uh, caring son and he's frightened of that question because he doesn't know his mother's exact age um now you know uh, we're introduced to Emmanuel Emmanuel is his co-worker and also his friend who works in the dispatch and you know the uh, both of them run together to uh, you know to um, uh, uh get back home they you know they have a fun joy kind of a ride and uh, they arrive at Celestis remember I told you Celestis the restaurant where he um, is very fond of eating but now he avoids it because he doesn't want people to ask him questions now when they arrive at celestis he's dripping with sweat and they're very tired and uh, he uh, you know after that he um, asked you know celestis asks him if everything is okay he ate very quickly and then you know he went home because he drank uh, too much wine and uh, when he wakes up you know he wants to have a cigarette now um on his way upstairs you know there's another very um, you know uh, i wouldn't say very important but yes um, an important character because he um, sort of stands as a kind of a contrast to um, you know mayor sultan in many ways and uh, salamano is this character and he's also very much um, uh, you know uh, a representative and a very uh, 
he typifies, in a sense, the, the philosophy of the absurd. Now, Salamano is his next door neighbor, and he has a dog, um, uh, you know, with him. And they've been together for eight years. You know, look at the, the way in which Albert Camus writes or, um, you know, uh, talks about the relationship between Salamano and his dog. They have been together for eight years, you know, as though it's a relationship of, you know, two human beings. And... Um, the relationship is a very um, strange one, you know. Uh, I'll just read, um, you know, about the dog from the chapter. Um, you know, the, the dog has a skin, uh, before I read that, the dog has a skin disease which is mange. And all his, you know, fur has just fallen off and he's got brown blotches and scabs. Now see um, how uh, Albert Camus observes uh, the master and the dog. After living with it for so long, uh, the two of them alone together in one tiny room, Salamano has ended up looking like the dog. He's got reddish scabs on his face and his hair is thin and yellow. And the dog has developed something of its master's walk, all hunched up with its neck stretched forward and its nose sticking out. They look as if they belong to the same species and yet they hate each other. Twice a day at 11 o'clock and 6, the old man takes his dog for a walk. In eight years, they haven't changed their routine. When the dog is taken for a walk, you know, um, there is a, a, a kind of a reverse, you know, uh, action that takes place. Uh, first, the dog is taken out, uh, you know, for... Uh, you know, for a, for a walk, and uh, he, you know, uh, obviously taken out to urinate, and uh, Salamana forgets that the dog is urinating. He pulls him, and the dog barks, and then he gets angry with the dog, and then the dog start pu that starts pulling the master. So it is, uh, you know, a very strange kind of relationship that they have. Um, you know, almost like a cyclical motion in which the dog and the animal almost become one and yet are so apart. And even Salamano uh, has got so used to this animal. In fact, he took this animal after his wife um, died. And uh, he says, you know, that I was married to my wife, but we were, uh, we were not, they were never happy, you know. And he keeps calling the animal filthy, lousy animal, filthy, lousy animal. And, um, you know, whenever Mersol talks to Salamano, um, uh, you know, he, he, he's quite absent-minded because he's always so busy abusing the, abusing the dog and, um, you know, that kind of thing that they do. So, um, you know, uh, this is significant because um, we're going to see later something happens to Salamano's dog and, you know, how he behaves. And another significant thing is also to be observed that, um, you know, um, Mirsolt is um, not, uh, you know, the complete antisocial man that he's made out to be. He has good relations with um, Celeste, with Emmanuel. He's kind towards um, Salamano, even though Salamano uh, and his dog, they look disgusting, you know, because they are, uh, they, they look dirty. They look sort of uh, very, very, you know, um, unhygienic. And, but yet he... Uh, you know, when Mersault makes friends with people, he he never looks at uh, what other people think about them, what the world is going to say about them. His um, you know views about people are are, are very uh, non-judgmental. Now, <coughs> uh, sorry, during um, you know when he goes back to his room, there is another um, neighbor, next door neighbor. And uh, he comes in and he, his name, uh, you know, he, his, um, 
he's a person who says otherwise you know that he's a warehouseman and his name is Raymond Sinti's uh, but people say that he lives off women which uh, essentially means that he's a pimp which means that he supplies uh, you know <coughs> Um, prostitutes or women to other men uh, you know taking off a kickback or a commission and people have very bad words about him um, but uh, Mir Salt doesn't find anything wrong in him because he is um, you know as I said he's uh, he's very straightforward in the sense that he is not judgmental and he understands people in a very uh, in a manner that's very uh, straightforward and he says yes I think uh, he's nice to me Raymond Sintis is nice to me and I think I would like to be his friend so um, when Raymond comes you know they go upstairs and uh, um, they have a conversation they you know have some wine and they talk and uh, Amir Salt is told by um, Raymond Sintis about uh, some kind of um, a problem that he's facing, some kind of a dispute that he is facing, you know. Uh, he, you know, he says that, you know, somebody um, hit me and I'm not the kind of a man who would just, you know, be quiet. So I hit them back and we come to know that there's some kind of a dispute he had with somebody. And, uh, you know, as the conversation goes on, he talks about the fact that he had a mistress. And uh, this mistress, uh, through all the conversation, Mirsalt is able to make out that she was Moorish, that is, she was an Arab, she was a black woman. And he said, you know, I was providing her, she wasn't working, I was giving her money. And he said, I found that she was being disloyal, she was two-timing, she was double-crossing, she was doing something strange. And he said that, you know, um, he found that she was you know, doing uh, something hanky-panky and uh, he later, you know, uh, realized that she had, uh, you know, to go bracelets, she had pawned them, uh, she was making a lot of money and, uh, you know, he said that he's going to teach her a lesson sometime. So he beat her, all right? So that this is where actually the whole dispute starts off. He said he'd beaten uh, her, um, you know, she would bleed I mean he was so angry he said that he would have he would beat her and he says he hadn't you know he wasn't used to beating her before that but he used to beat her you know in the affectionate manner you know see how um, you know privileged men think that beating their mistresses is um, is a part of an affectionate manner but um, he uh, you know felt that he had hit her and he wanted to punish her more and he had a sort of a plan and he was always irritated, you know, that uh, what annoyed him was that he still felt like sleeping with her. So you see, even uh, even uh, Raymond has this kind of uh, uh, an attachment with his mistress, which makes him desire her uh, physically. So, um, you know, then first he thought that he'd take her to a hotel room and then he'd call the police and then he'd say that she was a prostitute. Then, uh, you know, he would spit at her, etc. And he was really looking out for revenge. So what does he do is he involves, um, uh, you know, um, Mayor Salt and he says, you know, he gives him a piece of paper and he says, why don't you write a, uh, you know, why don't you write a letter for me, you know? And, um, you know, he notices that, um, you know this letter has been written uh, to the mistress and 
you know, he doesn't see anything amiss and he says, yeah, okay, if you feel that I could write a letter for you, I'd do it. So he writes, um, you know, a letter and by this time he finds that Raymond Sinti's is calling him by his first name and, you know, he felt that, oh yes, I have a friend, he calls him a mate and then, uh, you know, uh, Raymond uh, is very pleased, you know, that he's got this kind of a letter which is a threatening letter and we do understand here that actually Marisolt has um, agreed to uh, commit a kind of a fraudulent act. But then he um, sort of doesn't look at it in that way because he feels that yes, it's just a favour that a friend has asked me. And he writes a letter, he takes it away and Raymond Sinti's is mighty pleased, you know. He kept uh, remarking and telling him, you know, that you're a man of the world, you know everything and all that. And um, you know, then he also explained at the end, you know, that he heard about mother's death, but that it was something that was bound to happen sooner or later. That is what I thought too. So you see, uh, there are certain kind of similarities between Raymond Sinti's and Meersold that he says, you know, that let's not make too much noise about, uh, you know, for example, death of a mother because that's something that just had to happen. And even uh, Meersold says, yeah, I think sooner or later everybody has to die. But of course, we don't say such things because we find them, as I keep using the word, we find them pretty, uh, you know, blasphemous. So, um, I mean, I... I close, uh, you know, my lecture by quoting from the chapter. Um, you know, I got up, Raymond shook my hand warmly and said that we men always understand one another. You know, that kind of a brotherhood that's been formed between two men. I went out and closing the door behind me, I paused for a moment in the dark on the landing, at the landing of the stairs. The house was quiet and a vague breath of moist air was wafting up from the depths of the stairwell. All I could hear was the blood throbbing in my ears. It's so quiet that you can even hear the, uh, you know, the blood in his ears. I stood quite still, but in Salamano's room, the dog whimpered feebly. So he could hear the dog crying because the walls are very thin and uh, he, of course, is successful in spending another day. He's successful in probably, you know, uh, pleasing Raymond Sinti's. And you see that, um, you know, behind all this journalistic detail, behind all this very, you know, simplistic kind of description, there is something very important that is developing you know in terms of of course the plot that is developing but also the uh, you know the philosophy or and the absurdity and the meaninglessness of life is being brought out so very clearly uh, through characters and incidents uh, so that much for today and uh, tomorrow i think we'll be able to take up um, um, another a couple of chapters or more and then we'd be through with part one uh, and uh, we'll move uh, then of course to the second part of the novel uh, which is you know, a complete kind of a contrast uh, to the first part. Um, thank you.